welcome. So tonight there is the creation class. The first class was last night. The second one's tonight in the Castle Rock Library. If you guys are interested, we're going through Genesis. Uh, tonight they're talking about dinosaurs in the Bible, but now those are late. Which, um, I think a lot of young people get lost. They think that, that creation and dinosaurs and, and science don't all match, but they actually do. So it's the scientist that goes through and explains it. It's Creation, creation Ministries International. So we get to be a part of that. Tonight at 6.30 at the Castle Rock Library. So, and on Wednesday nights, we're feeding the homeless. So you guys are interested in that? Let me know. And then this one I'm super excited about. It's the men's retreat up in Fraser coming up. April 29th to May 1st. And yes, we're going. Oh, guys, guys. And then the women's study is going to start on May 5th at 6 p.m. You'll be here at the house. Shannon and the women are going to go through. I get to books. be part of it. The books are in. Yep. Once you become a teenager, you'll be a part of it. As We're going to go the 12 extraordinary women of the Bible. So. And then on Saturday, May 7th, we start the men's group. We're going to go through the 12 ordinary men, the 12 apostles that Jesus used. I was called. to be a part of that. Just ordinary men, not men that you would have picked, or at least probably I would have picked if I thought it was Jesus. So. But we'll learn why you picked them, and it's going to be an amazing study. So that's Saturday mornings, 9 a.m., starting May 7th. So. Thank you, Bella. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You need to put your heels on. Yeah, she didn't put her heels on. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck. Being very nice. So let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you do, all the ways that you guide us, all the ways you provide I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, Jesus. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. You freely gave up your life. You took our places on that cross. That you died for us so that we can live for you. I just ask that you would watch over us this week. And you would grant each one of us patience and wisdom that can only come from you. That we would be a light and witness to you out in this world, in this community, in our lives among our friends, with our family, that we would, in everything we do, that we would be an example of who you are in our lives, the change that you've made in us. I ask that you would watch over our nation, that you would draw this nation back to you, that you would guide the leadership of this nation, that you would get a hold of each and every one of their hearts. I just ask that you would watch over all that's going on in this world, Lord, that you would peace to those who are hurting that you would strengthen them you would come alongside those that are torn by war it's in Jesus name I pray all these things Amen. Amen. so this weekend is known as Palm Sunday so this is when Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem is there palm trees? they have palms see I told you So, um, 
this is his triumphal entry. But we'll read, we'll get into it. His followers are excited, but most people aren't. The Bible makes that clear. And we kind of come to understand why. And what that means and how that relates to us. How do we get excited? Only when times are good, and then when things don't go the way we planned, do we turn away, do we walk away, do we no longer interested um, in who Jesus is or the work he's doing in our lives. So, um, yes. <coughs> there. The pickup truck? Or is the pickup truck? So, before we pick up here in John 12.1, Jesus up until this point has been working his way to Jerusalem. Um, He's left Jericho at this point. Jericho is where he meets Zacchaeus, the little man in the tree. And Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and must have dinner with you. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' home. I do love that. How Jesus always looked, Zacchaeus was a despised tax collector. No one no one in the Jewish community liked him. That was the worst thing that you could do was be a tax collector. According to the Jews, and yet Jesus loves him, wants to spend time with him. But I would say that long before Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus had already invited Jesus into his heart. And that was why that took place. And here Jesus goes and spends time with this more of these disreputable sinners, the Bible calls them. That's who he hung out with. That's who Jesus spent his time with. People like you and me. So I've always loved that. And um, you know, just the thought that the creator of the universe comes down and, and wants to spend time with, with people like me. So, um, so we pick up the story um, here in John chapter 12, verse 1, as Jesus is arriving. In Bethany, so so starting in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared for Jesus, prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then, Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his hair with her, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. 
For it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Um, so, up until this point, getting into this, we read about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, his brothers and sisters, this family, and Jesus had more interactions than just this. We won't go to it, but in Luke 10, 38 through 42, that's where we read about Jesus eating dinner with Martha and Mary. Um, and Mary sitting at his feet and Martha being upset, you know, because she's trying to prepare the meal. And Jesus, tell my sister to come help me. And, uh, and, and Jesus makes it clear. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn, to worship, to follow him, that was what was important. The meal wasn't important. The meal was necessary, and Martha has a heart to be hospitable, but she did it with bitterness You know, at this time in her life. And here, we get to read that she's still hospitable, she's still preparing a meal, but she's doing it with love. And that's the difference. We can, we can serve others and we can do it bitterly. We can be upset by it. We can say, you know, I have to do this. Or we can do it with love. And Jesus rebukes her when she does it bitterly, but not when she does it lovingly. And that's the amazing thing. We get to grow and get to learn more about who Jesus is. And then you can read in John chapter 11, and that's where we read about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So... So these, this family, these two sisters and this brother, um, Lazarus gets sick, and, and the girls send a message to Jesus. Jesus, come, come see our brother. He's sick. He's about to die. And Jesus doesn't go right away, and we would perceive that as, as God not answering our prayers or God being delayed. You know. But God had a plan, and, and the plan was that, that he would be made great, his name would be made great through this, that he would raise Lazarus from the dead and that many would come to know him. So God allowed this suffering. God allowed Lazarus to suffer in his bed, to die, but he did it in order that more would come to know him. So there's, there's a suffering that takes place in all of our lives um, from time to time, and we don't ever like it, but God always has a purpose for it. But it's never in vain. It's not just because, of, just because he wants to be a mean God. So, so here we get to read like I say, in John chapter 11, that Lazarus suffered and died. And the girls, they were, they were upset. Oh, Lord, if you'd only come earlier, my brother would have died. You know, they tell him. And, and Jesus, you know, explains to them that, well, he's not dead. He's sleeping. And he, he orders them to, to roll the stone away, open the tomb. And, <laughs> and Mary, or as Martha, tells him that, uh, Oh Lord, he's been in there for four days. He stinks. Don't do this. You know, she, while earlier had confessed that he was the Messiah, and she like said she always believed. You know, but this problem of hers was too big for for God, too big for Jesus. And none of our problems are. None of our problems are too big for Jesus. But sometimes we think that. And here earlier in chapter eleven, she she confesses that he's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings, the Creator, the everything. But then just a few moments later, oh, you can't do this, God. This is too much for you. You can't, you can't raise my brother from the dead. So. so what I do love about this too, John chapter 12, is you see Mary again. 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. But this time, she, it seems like she has an understanding that he is about to die, and she's preparing for his burial. Um, and that she still is sitting at his feet. And Martha here is using her gift, gift of hospitality um, and, and using it with love and not with bitterness. And then we get to read how the, the leading priests, you know, what did the leading priests decide to do? They decide to kill Lazarus too. So they've already decided they're going to kill Jesus. Well, let's kill Lazarus too. And why? Because many people were going to follow Jesus and believe in Jesus because of the work that he did in Lazarus' life. And so, so Jesus, God, didn't fit their needs at the time. And he didn't fit their theology how they understood the Bible. And we'll get into that, what they believed and why they believed what they did or why they thought they should. And and it was all self-serving. It was all because they were suffering and they didn't like it and they felt that God should take that away. And he does in time, but it's always for a purpose for those who are loved and called according to his name. So um, let's jump over to Luke chapter 19. Starting there in verse 29. So, and the leading priests, you know, so the God that they're supposed to be serving, that's the God that they want to kill. That's the God that they, they're upset that he's got the attention and they don't. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. God is supposed to have the glory and we are not. So, so we're going to jump over to yeah, Luke 19, starting in verse 29. <coughs> Um, this is we'll pick up the story here so this is as he's coming into Jerusalem so he's, this is his triumphal entry the, the Jews want their conquering king and that's what they're expecting to get um, that's what fits their theology and that's what fits their needs at the time so, so as they came to the towns of Bethany and Bethpage on the Mount of Olives on the Mount of Olives he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles he had done, for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings to the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied,
So he replied, Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against you, your walls against your walls, and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. So, so getting into this, this is Palm Sunday, and we didn't read about that. We didn't read about him them laying down any palm branches. So Matthew, in his account, all four Gospels have this account in there. And I think that's important. But Matthew, in his account, says that they laid down their garments and branches from nearby trees. Mark says that they laid down garments and leafy branches. John, or here in Luke, we just read down that they laid down garments. And John says that they laid down branches from palm trees. So John, the Gospel of John is where we get that from. Now, to say, some people say, oh, see, there's contradictions in the Bible. But I don't think that's right. Before I got into construction, I went through, I was going to be a police officer. Went through all that training. And, uh, and one of the things they taught you was that if everybody had the same story, then it's probably a lie. So if everybody had the exact same story, then you know that something's wrong. And so you don't read that here. Not everybody has the exact same story. And the reason for that is people remember things, you know, different things made a different impact to them. They had different viewpoints, looking at things differently. And I think, too, when I, I tell a story to someone, and it's a long story with lots of details, I usually don't go into every single detail with every single person I share it with. I just share the details that I think are important to them. So I think that's a lot of what you read. So I don't think there's contradictions in the Bible. I think you're just looking at it from different viewpoints and different things that the Holy Spirit impressed on the writers. And God did it all for a purpose and for a reason. So But what we, what we see here is that his followers are excited, but, but not everyone was. And what, what they wanted was they wanted a conquering king. And Jesus made it clear that he wasn't coming to be a conquering king. And that's not, not that didn't fit their mold. They were oppressed by the Romans at that time. The Romans were not good people to them. And then after Jesus' death, the Romans were, were far worse. Um, there was a man named Nero that was the leader of the Romans at the time, and he did awful things to Christians. He said, oh, you want to be the light of the world? And he put him, light him on fire in his garden. He said, you can light up my garden. You know? So, so they, while there was a need to, to be freed from their oppressors, that wasn't Jesus' purpose in coming. There was two companies. His first coming and his second coming. And the Jews read it all as one coming. So, um, but let's go back to John chapter 12. But we'll go a little further down. We'll go down to verse 37 and see what, what God says about this. And you see, you see Jesus' heart here as he, as he comes to the city and, and he weeps. Um, we just read. And he weeps for the city and how he wishes that they would come to know him, that they would accept him into their lives and into their hearts, that their lives would be forever changed. But they don't. They have hard hearts. Um, they have selfish hearts. You read about the, the religious leaders, you know, 
they're upset because Jesus was getting the attention and they weren't. And that's not what they that's not what they wanted. They want the attention on them. They want people to look at me, look at who I am. So so we'll pick up here. We started in John chapter twelve and now we're just a little bit further down. So we'll pick up here in verse thirty seven. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, but in, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So you read that most people didn't believe. Many did, but most didn't. And even the Jewish leaders that didn't believe didn't want to talk about it, wanted to hide it. Because they were worried that, that other people, what will other people think? And I can think through that. Become a Christian. Well, what is everybody else going to think about that? You know, I remember having a talk with Shannon. And, and she said, well, I don't know if I want to become a Christian. I'm going to find all new friends. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I can think of that. You know, that's what people say, and that's the mindset that people have. They're more worried about what other humans are going to say than what God says. So, and that's a fear that we have to get over. We have to let go of what other people are going to think. Who cares what other people think? But when we get sucked into Facebook and social medias, that's definitely what we care about. We care about what other people think. So, and that's where that danger comes in. And that's. Facebook and those kind of things, those attention on me is definitely from the enemy and not from God. And you see that here. That they, they wanted to hide who God was in their lives because they didn't want to affect what other people thought about them. So, and that's a big deal. Um, but most people didn't believe, but he did have, there were his belief, he did have many who did believe in him, this says. And we read about that as a triumphal entry. They were praising and singing, you know, who God is and how great he was and, and who the Messiah was. Now, I don't think they understood what was about to happen. A lot of his followers didn't. But, and that was always when God changes, when we think we're headed down a course and this is what's going to happen, he's going to enter Jerusalem, he's going to be our conquering king, and he's not, what happens to our faith? Where do we go? Do we, is he still Lord over our lives, or do we walk away and say, no, I must have had it all wrong. He isn't who I, who I thought he was. So, um, but the reason that the, the Jews believe this, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, is that they, they would read this all as one. Um, and, and Jesus explains this himself. So Isaiah. in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, and we'll go to that, we'll go back to Luke, but Jesus explains this for himself and in a way that only God can where he sets it up and orchestrates it um, to all the people. So, so we'll pick up Isaiah 
chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor is come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. So the, the, the bottom part there, that's the part that they, they thought. So the, the Lord's favor is come, right? And that God is going to free them from their enemies. He's going to meet their needs. This is what I need, God. This is what you have to do. This must be where you're headed. But we're going to read... We're going to read in Luke chapter 4. That's where we're headed next. That Jesus makes it clear that's not what he came for. So, but that's how they read it. And that's why, that's why they had their mindset. That's their theology. They, they said when they studied God's word, this must be what God is going to do. We know this. We're smarter than everyone else. You know, we're not like those despised tax collectors. We're not like those other disreputable sinners. You know, we know. And they don't. And Jesus makes it clear to them, and they still don't believe. So, like I said, we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, verses four starting at verse 14. So, Jesus, this takes place, Jesus, right before this, was tempted in the wilderness, tempted for 40 days by Satan. Tempted in the wilderness, and he um, is coming back from that. And we'll pick up what happens, um, what happens here. So, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. I think this is important. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. So they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. God has this all orchestrated in just the right time. But that's the scroll that they were going to hand to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he stops. He doesn't finish the verse. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've heard has been fulfilled this very day. So he doesn't finish the verse. He doesn't finish the conquering king. He just says that he's coming. That, that, <coughs> that he's coming to set the captives free. Um, the Bible says that we're a slave to sin. So he's coming to free us from our sins. Um, he also is coming quite literally to set the captives free. The righteous at that point, before, when they died before Jesus' death on the cross, they went to what's known as Abraham's bosom. And he goes down during his death and sets them free. And at some point we will get into that, but that's not today. Um, but he came to bring the good news. You know, 
good news to the poor. And what's the good news? The good news is Jesus' salvation. Because of his death on the cross, we can be saved. So he makes it clear why he came. And he, he teaches this in the synagogue. And like I say, in the middle of the verse, he, he stops. He doesn't read the whole verse. You know, we'll go back to that slide. So there, in, in verse 2, he doesn't read the whole one. He stops. The Lord's favor has come. Rolls up the scroll and hands it back to him. and says, this has been fulfilled this very day. But that's not what the Jews wanted. They wanted that second part. They wanted that second coming. They wanted him to come free them. And when they didn't get what they wanted, then they dismissed him and said, no, he's not God. He's not the Messiah. And I think we do the same thing. When God doesn't answer our prayers, when he doesn't do the things that we think he should do, when he doesn't fit our mold in our box, we tend to dismiss it and say, oh, you know, I don't need God. You know, this must not be real. He must not really be a God. So we do the same thing. So I, I think sometimes it's easy to read through the Bible and say, oh, I would never do that. But I think we do that all the time. I think, when he, like I say, when he doesn't answer our prayers or meet our needs or fit our mold, then we dismiss who he is. And it doesn't change who he is. He's still the Savior of the world. And the conquering king, that comes in his second coming. So there's this gap. And many times throughout the Bible, there's other places where you'll see the first and second coming. The, the, the lamb, the slain lamb, and you see the conquering king. And it's, there's a gap in between. And right now that gap's about 2,000 years. So, um, so we also read earlier that God blinded their, their eyes and hardened their hearts. And I think that's a tough thing to understand or a tough thing to grasp. Well, why would God do that? Or um, what, what kind of loving God would do something like that? Or we think, well, maybe he's done that to me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. He's hardened my heart. No, that's, that's not the case. And, and to further explain that, we'll go into Psalms, into chapter 18, starting at verse 25. Psalms 18, verse 25. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity you show integrity. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the wicked you show yourself hostile. You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. In your strength I can crush an army. With my God I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. So, the last verse there. All of God's promises are true. He is a shield to all who look for him for protection. So what does that mean when he hardens people's hearts and blinds their eyes? Um, God's way, it says here, God's way is perfect. Um, what he does is perfect. And imperfection is he is always good. There is no no evil, no wicked in him. Um, but to the wicked, 
he shows himself hostile and he humiliates the proud. But it's never God's will that anyone should perish. That's never his will. And he makes that very clear in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. That's the last place we'll go. So, so, but what God does do is he gives people the desires of their hearts. And we'll go to 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Leading up to this, people are questioning Peter. You know, he said Jesus is coming again. The disciples believed he was coming at any time. They believed that right after his death, that he was coming right back. Um, and we still believe that today, that he's coming back again. But that doesn't mean that we just need to wait, wait till we think he's going to, right before he comes, and then we'll get our lives cleaned up. The Bible makes it clear, God makes it clear that we should live a life that, that brings glory to God. We should be a light and witness to those around us. And when things are tough, when things are hard, when we don't understand what's going on, we're supposed to be that example to other people. And we can choose that to be that example, or we can choose not to. We can choose to be selfish and put it back on us, and how do I feel, and how do I think. Um, but here we pick up in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So God makes it very clear there that he wants everyone to repent. So then how do we relate that? How do you fit that into he hardens hearts and blinds eyes? And I think you can go back and you can look at Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh was, when Moses had gone to Pharaoh and it says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, no, no, no. And they send the ten plagues. God sends the ten plagues. God is trying to get Pharaoh's attention. But Pharaoh gets to a point where, and God knows the end, that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. Pharaoh's going to do it to himself. You know, this is what I want. And God just solidifies that. And he does that before he leaves the earth. And the Bible made that clear. Um, for God is a God who doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't make us believe in him. It's a loving choice that we can believe in him. And if we want to choose to live a life separate from him, and he will give that to us at the end of our lives. For all of eternity, we can live that life separate from him. He doesn't force himself on us. He gives us the desires of our hearts when they're good and when they're bad. And you can think of that, you know, you have kids that press you into, oh, I want this, I want this, and you know that this isn't the best for them, but you give in anyways. That's kind of what God does. You, he gives in. This is not what's best for you. You want to live a life apart from me. That's not the best thing for you, but I'm going to give you what you want. That's where, that's where we are. That's where we see. But that's never his will. His will is that everyone will repent. So it's never his will that anyone is destroyed. Um, that all would come and turn to him. And, uh, and we'll get into that later too. Into his death, his crucifixion. You know, and the, the Roman soldiers, you know, they, they crucified him. And I think you can see that some repent. Are they forgiven for that? Absolutely. There's no sin that's not forgiven except for one. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and anyone that's part of a Bible study has definitely not ever committed that sin. So, um, but we'll get into that also later. 
Um, but, so like this verse says though, um, we have to repent. We have to turn from our ways. We once, all repentance is, what that means is that we, we do an about face. There is no, I'm walking with God and I took a couple steps to the side or I strayed away. You're either walking with him or you're walking against him. The Bible makes it very clear. You're for God or you're against God. There is no in-between. There is no, I'm a good person or a middle ground. So repent is, yes, you're right. I once lived this way and I've decided I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn to you, God. And it's an about face. It's a turnaround in your lives. That's open to all of us. God is faithful to forgive us for all of our sins. And when he forgives us, he removes them from our lives. He doesn't bring them up again. He doesn't hold them over our head. His forgiveness is a once and for all um, lifetime thing for all of eternity. The Bible says he casts our sins as far away as the east is from the west. So he doesn't ever hold it over our heads. That's not who we are. That's not... That's not what he made us to be. That's not who we are. That's not who he called us to be. So he forgives us. He renews us. He makes us new again in him, only because of Jesus. So, and that, can, that salvation is open to all. Anyone who wants to, to repent and turn to him, we just read up here, he wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So, and that repentance is, is simple, and that's a just a prayer, just a humbling of your heart. For many years I had a head knowledge of God of who he was in my head, but it didn't sink into my heart. And that's all this is, is, is letting God sink into your heart. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the Messiah. You are the conquering king. You will come back for us. You, are, you died and you rose again. And if you want to pray that prayer right now, we can do that. And that prayer is simple. And it goes something along these lines, you know. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. That you would come into my life. That you would change who I am. I believe that you have the power to free me from those sins. And that you died for me. And that you live again. You were rose from the dead. And you are seated at the right hand of God. And if you prayed that prayer, that's it. You were saved. Once and for all. Sealed for all of eternity. You don't it's not a, he comes into your life and then you ask him to leave and he can leave or you walk away and he, he leaves you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You are sealed. And if you've ever prayed that prayer in your life and you've meant it in your heart, then it's a done deal. And we don't always have to come back to him. We can always just, we don't always have to pray the prayer of repentance when we stray away. We can just ask him to forgive us and he never leaves us. He's always with us. So, Thinking about all this, how do we act when God doesn't fit our ideas or our interpretation of the scriptures? Do we get mad? Do we abandon him? You know, what the religious leaders are really doing is they're calling God a liar. They're saying, no, you're not who you say you are. And do we do the same thing? And I, I think we can and we do. When we serve, you know, like, like Martha was, when we serve bitterly, when we are, are worried about what everybody else is doing and want to look at them and not look at our own lives. It's a, a tough thing for us to, to hear and for us to swallow, but we do need to, to look at our lives and who we are. And not so much who people think we are, but who does God think we are. And, and we are chosen, and we are loved, and we are his children when we ask him into our lives. And we have an inheritance. 
that we share with Jesus. God makes that clear. We're not second-class citizens. We are his chosen ones. So, at the end of the day, who do we choose to serve? Do we choose to serve God, or do we choose to serve other men and what they think? So, that's it. So, if you guys have any questions... Well, I just have a comment. I always have a comment. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, no, I just want to, because I think this is one of those things. <clears throat> uh, and Matt can elaborate. I think sometimes we um, we're not perfect. That's why we have we have His grace and we have His forgiveness. And sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, I just I mean. We're going to continue to sin, but think of it this way. He died on the cross while we're still in sin. It's not perfect. None of this is perfect. And so sometimes I do it to myself. I'm like, I keep asking for forgiveness for the same thing I did in the past because I it, it comes up in my um, flesh where I'm like, oh, this is bad. And what I, I did, because sometimes I think, this is why this is happening to me because I did this, this, and this, and this, and this. And boy, is it a, it's an eye-opener to, to have Matt say that again. And it's like, okay, I've, I've asked him into my heart. I, I know who I am, and some days are better than others. We are a broken group of people. And that's, that's why I go, okay, I, I have not lost my, I, even though I screw up, Right? I screw up day in, day out. It's every day is a new day. But um, just knowing, I man, it's super, that's my comment. I guess it's super cool to know that I don't lose his salvation. I, I, I don't. I just say, okay, please forgive me. I, I kind of screwed up again or whatever that might be. And that, that was my comment. Because sometimes I do that to myself. I'll look at some of the stuff I've done in the way past. And then go. I am. Um, I'm always asking for forgiveness for that couple, some pretty serious things, and I go, boy, I really, really screwed up, and that's why this is happening to me, so I'm going to go ahead and ask forgiveness. Please forgive me. And, um, and I, but the cool thing about that is he just never leaves. It's, he's always there. So that was my comment. That's it. We kind of talked about that last week. The, the discipline, your fathers don't provoke your children to anger. There's discipline. Right. You're supposed to discipline, godly discipline, and restoration. And um, learning from that. So God doesn't discipline us forever. It's chastening. He disciplines us, but then he moves on. And I I think, I think I think I told you before, when I first got saved, everything that I could ever think I'd ever done wrong comes flooding back into my mind. And and we were going to Cast Rock at the time and Dave was teaching through spiritual attacks and he said when a spiritual attack comes, have three people in mind you should be praying for, um, for their salvation. And when that spiritual attack comes, recognize it and pray for those three people. Take the enemy's attack and turn it around on them. The enemy doesn't want, you know, those people to be saved and do that. And it's not, you don't have to ask for forgiveness over and over again. It's a one-time deal. You ask for forgiveness. He makes it very clear. He forgets your sins. He casts them as far away as the east is from the west. And that those thoughts that come up, I think, are very real. But those are spiritual attacks. That's the enemy still trying to accuse you. That's who Satan is. He's the ultimate accuser. Oh, you are this. You are this. You are a 
a sinner. You can never be forgiven for this. Yeah, God may forgive you for all this, but not for this. Oh, this bad thing that's going on in your life or this challenge, that's because, oh, all these other things you did in your life. No, that's not how God is. It's a forgiveness once and for all. You ask for forgiveness and he takes it away. He doesn't bring it up again. The Bible makes it clear. I think the Bible makes it clear for this very reason. To realize that when those ideas and those thoughts come up, that that's not from God. That that's from the enemy. And that's the enemy trying to... He can't take away your salvation. We've gone through that multiple times. But he can make you ineffective. He can make you to where, yes, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be serving God in this way. I shouldn't be pouring into people's lives in this way. I'm not good enough. And that's the attack from the enemy. Absolutely. So I guess I have a How do you address... Um, just say it. Um, you know, they say if you think it, it's not good. You, I mean, you, it's, we know it's wrong. You know, you don't want to say something, but it's just as bad. I mean, I guess does he look at you too going, you're, it's, you're thinking it, you might as well say it. It's just as bad as does he look at you or do you, you know? No, the Bible, like, we were talking about this last week too. There's thoughts that I have in my head. Definitely should, don't need to come out with that. But, and, right. but even just thinking it is that a sense? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, yeah, our thoughts can be that way. But I think it's a lot of what we bring into our lives, too. You know, our thoughts and our hearts are, our hearts are a direct relation. What comes out of our mouth comes from our heart. Right. And that's a direct relation of what we bring into our lives. And it's not easy. It's, there's so many places in the world that comes after us. Wants to and the, yeah, and the other thing is, like, how many times, I mean, I guess there's always that struggle is how many times do you screw up the same thing over and over and go, is he always, you're, I mean, you go, okay, it's just like, child, I told you how many times you didn't learn, you didn't learn, you didn't learn, and how, I guess, is that even though they say God always forgives, regardless of even though you continue to do the same thing over and over again, does that always, you know, stand? Does that, you know, when you do it and you try to fix it, but you keep doing the same thing over and over again? Does it continue to forgive you? Yes. Yes. So Pete, I think it's Peter who asked him that. You know, how many times should I forgive someone? You know, seven times? He said, no, 70 times seven. Not that you do the math and figure it out. But you never stop forgiving. But I do think that God puts things in our lives and gives, wants us to learn a lesson. And, and eventually, we have to learn that lesson and say, okay, I get it. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. And that's our choice. And it's hard. Some of them are very hard. Some but how many times, I guess they say he's not going to stop forgiving you, but I guess it's a matter of he's going to put you on a different path to that path. You, you will, the consequences will come. It's not at his hand, it's at because we're given a free will. And He'll always forgive us when we ask. I guess, um, I always, I guess for me, I put it in perspective of my own dad. He would, no matter what we did, no matter how bad, he would always love us. Yeah. God's our our dad. Yeah. He's our father. Yeah. 
you're going, this, that's why I bring it up, is because I'll look at all the things I've done in the past, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting punished for this now. So sometimes that's what happens in my brain. I'm like, that's what's happening. That's God's punishing me, but that's not how it works. And that's why I go, that is, that's directly from the enemy. That's, that's him. Not, that's, a loving God doesn't do that. When we do a mistake, as you're at, we, it's forgiven, and we move on. Because we all have some deep, dark things that have happened. We do, all of us. And some are worse than others. Uh, as far as, you know, we think in our brain, like, well, did this, this, and this. But it's it's nothing he can't handle. Nothing. Another thing that really actually came to me this morning, and all of that I've been dealing with, um, with my past and with, I've always looked for validation. I've always looked for I'm, a, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And that is the enemy telling me that. But I say it to myself a lot. And it was just today, it was like, I said, you're going you're gonna to keep having a really hard time. Because that's you just the But the only person that needs to validate me is not a person. It's God. 